mean when that. you get challenged by someone who's a a guy like a Jake Paul, does that piss you off? Is it part part of it that just like my um. No, it doesn't. I don't no? think it. I think it's awesome. You think it's awesome? <laughs> yeah, I think it's me off. I think it's off. cool. <laughs> you think it's cool? That's awesome. That's awesome that you, you handle it that way. Because, like, in a way, I mean, it's it's kind of insulting. It's brave. It's bold of him. But it's also, it's like, Jesus Christ, there's levels to this world. Threats about anything that went on in the pre-fights and all the news conferences? Negative. I'm good. I beat Polly, I left with his belt and his girl. Adrian, congratulations on winning the title. Polly, come on in. Hey, I'm just saying, you lost. I know, I know, I lost. Yes, but, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, don't brag about taking my side piece. Don't brag about taking my side piece, though. That's my side piece. He's actually the highest paid person in boxing. Who? You are. Really? Goes, <laughs> goes Canelo Alvarez, Coogan Cassidy, and Canelo Alvarez, AJ. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where it looks like Sky and Boxer are going to go full Dev Sani and start calling Martin Bacoli the last king of Scotland. Now, I want to see how long they, they mine that seam of content before they realise it's probably not best to associate a heavyweight boxer with with a character such as Idi Amin. But it's it's more good news. It's more fantastic news for the heavyweight division because I think we're all struggling for excitement and motivation at this point, right? Because we're waiting for Fury and Usyk to make a move. We're waiting for Dillian and Wilder to make their moves. And the only person who's really moved of any note, well, actually two people of any note who've moved, are Anthony Joshua and Joe Joyce. And neither of those two has given us something we can really get excited about. And partly we have to take responsibility for that because they're just doing what they can do. And they're probably doing what they've been told to do, if we're being honest. So on April 1st at the O2, we've got Anthony Joshua versus Jermaine Franklin. Um, I don't even know what this is. Is this Joshua's 28th fight? And if we're being honest, we can count on one hand the number of times he's he's genuinely entertained us as boxing fans, right? Given us what we wanted. And it's been a very long time since he's actually done that, if we're being honest. And Jermaine Franklin... How do you do, how do you describe Jermaine Franklin? A guy who literally came out of nowhere, a guy who's famous for beating Jerry Forrest. I think Nick Webb would beat Jerry Forrest. So Jermaine Franklin's one of these guys like Takam who gets manufactured by promoters and people in the media. They start building this whirlwind of validation. Like you'll see Michael Benson tell you Jermaine Franklin's a reasonable opponent. He's not. He's he's no better, no worse than Dempsey McKean. So why not give it to Dempsey McKean? The truth is we know Dempsey McKean ain't all that. And there's no there's no corroboration for his ability. Whereas with Jermaine Franklin, we're going to talk about some people had Jermaine Franklin beating Dillian White. And I'm like, well, some people genuinely believe Dillian White was just going through the motions. Some people think Dillian White was trying to relearn some things and rebuild. You know, opinions are opinions. The fact of the matter is, Jermaine Franklin is not what we were promised. Go back to last year, in in the midst of all the Fury-Joshua conversations, Eddie Hearn was adamant when Anthony Joshua comes back, he's going to be against a live contender. 
a live contender. So for me, a live contender is someone who's been in the trenches. And I'll give you an example of someone who we could have accepted in that space, Michael Hunter. Why was Michael Hunter rejected? If the requirement from Derek James was, it can't be Wilder, but it has to be someone orthodox, cool. Why not Michael Hunter? Yeah. A name who's known to British fans, a name who's respected amongst British fans for breaking the spirit of Martin Bacoli. And we know what bacoli has gone on to become. We've seen him go in pretty tough with Povetkin as well. So Michael Hunter would have been a credible name. But they chose Jermaine Franklin. And they chose Jermaine Franklin because deep down they know Jermaine Franklin is garbage. If Anthony Joshua is able to tap into Oluwafemi, not, not Anthony, when he's able to tap into Oluwafemi, he should get Franklin out in three or four rounds. That's the betting. Three or four rounds tops. Like, I, I wouldn't want to see Joshua take a single backward step in that whole fight. So, having considered that, what's the point? What's the point? If you want a knockover job, ring up Dave Allen. If you want a knockover job, I mean, you could have brought over Johnny Rice. I think Johnny Rice is in better form than Jermaine Franklin. But what it seems to me is they wanted someone they knew they could dominate physically, who wouldn't have a threat coming back. And I'm not going to knock that because what more did I expect? This is what I expected. When Hearn was telling me he's going to come in against a live contender, I said, no, he's not. He's absolutely not going to do that because, as we keep saying, Joshua's problems aren't technical. He can blast people out of there when he needs to. It's in him. His problems are psychological. There's, there's an element of delusion in Joshua, and I've talked about this in the end of the Joshua Project, so that's like episode 110 or 111. There's something in his head that tells him he should be Sugar Ray Leonard, he should be Muhammad Ali. And we're like, mate, you're just a bodybuilder from Watford. You're a bodybuilder from Watford who, can ha who happens to be able to throw a few punches. Embrace it. Embrace it and just run to the moon with it. In the same way, when I look at Deontay Wilder, Wilder won't deviate too much from who and what he is. Wilder's a guy who loves the knockouts. As he said, he wants to catch a body. Same thing with Tyson Fury. Fury doesn't try and be something he's not. The only person who does is Joshua. And that screams of insecurity. And in a division of big, strong men that can all punch, insecurity is the last thing you want. And insecurity is something your trainer can't fix. So if Joshua's gone to Derek James to fix his insecurities, that's never going to happen. It may make them worse because you see guys like Errol Spence who had... The, who has the same number of belts you do. You see someone like Charla, who's got more belts than you do. He knows what it's like to be undisputed. And then here's Anthony Joshua going, am I really as good as these guys? This could actually be the worst thing for him. But we're going to get Joshua versus Jermaine Franklin. So that says, I don't even know how many fights he's had post Klitschko. Has he had eight fights since he fought Klitschko? Is it something like that? So let's see. Takam. Parker, Povetkin, uh, Ruiz 1, Ruiz 2, Pulev, Usyk 1, Usyk 2. So I think Franklin's going to be the ninth fight since Klitschko. 
And in how many of those fights has Joshua looked like a monster? He hasn't looked like a, like a genuine, genuine monster since he fought Vlad. And maybe he needed someone to push him that close to the wire for that Savage to come out. But then, in the same token, Ruiz did that and he folded. This is the paradox of Anthony Joshua. Vladimir knocked him into the middle of next week. Joshua got up and said, cool, let's swing it out. Ruiz does that and Joshua goes, I don't know if I can cope with this. And it has to be the fact that Vlad was rusty as hell. And you wonder what a match fit Vlad would have actually done to Joshua in that fight. And maybe we were deceived by that performance because we've never seen that since. You know, we saw it against Dilly in a bit and then we didn't see it. And then we struggled to see it against Molina. Jesus, man, we're talking about Molina. And we definitely, we, we definitely saw it against Vlad and then against Takam, we didn't see that. And then it's been a, it's been a disappointment. So you look at that run I just mentioned, and you can you can intersperse all these different names in there, Wallen, Chisora, even Tom Schwartz, for God's sake. You could put an Ortiz in there. There are all these names you could whack in there, and it would make that run look a little bit more impressive. But I come back to this point, and here's why, here's why I love this part of Joshua's career. I did a podcast episode in every one of these, and I think I've been consistent in my message. Takam, career sparring partner. He was manufactured by promoters for fans who were relatively new to the game. If you'd been following boxing for 15 years plus, you knew Takam was just a sparring partner. That's his career. He's a poor man's Chisora, essentially. A very poor man's Chisora. And you look at Parker. I think one of my quotes was, we live in a world where Joseph Parker won a world title and Derek Chisora didn't. I think Joseph Parker is quite possibly the worst person to have held a world title and I stand by that the worst person to have held a heavyweight title yes worse than Charles Martin by far worse than Charles Martin because at least you watch Charles Martin and he puts over he put, listen he put Luis Ortiz down Do you I mean he's as much as Martin divides opinion he's competitive in fights and you don't know how you don't know why but Parker was the worst heavyweight I know to have held a world title I'll stand by that that's the hill I'm willing to die on Povetkin. I just don't think there's anything good about Povetkin. I don't think there's ever been anything good about Povetkin. He doesn't even have a win against a guy like a Hellenius, for goodness sake. And then you add in all the drugs failures and so on and so forth. It's not great, right? And so you look past Povetkin, you look at Ruiz. Ruiz lost to Parker. Ruiz got put down by Ariola. He ain't really that good. And you have a feeling that if he fights Deontay Wilder, we'll find out he's really not that good. Then he fights, he fights him again and fights him scared. Fights him scared. Unlike Ariola, who didn't fight him scared. And then we go to Pulev. I'll stand by this again. Pulev is absolutely terrible. At that level, Pulev is absolutely terrible. Um, at sub-Euro level, I think Pulev's a hard, credible fight. I think he gave Chisora all he could handle um, the first time they fought. And then obviously what happened the second time was what happened. And then that takes you to Usyk 1 and Usyk 2. And I'm not going to bore you guys by saying this. Someone of Joshua's size, strength and stature should have been able to blast through Usyk. Usyk should have had to feel that he had to come from behind to win that fight. Because 
Usyk had none of the advantages apart from essentially experience. Maybe a little bit of speed, but experience really. And Joshua capitulated in both fights. And then obviously in the last one, we saw the meltdown. So all that being said, why are we even getting excited about AJ? What's there to get excited about? He hasn't given you the fights you want. So everyone's now talking about Anthony Joshua's going to fight Franklin, fight Dillian, fight Fury all in one year. They haven't been able to make those fights for five years. What's going to concentrate the minds now? If you remember, the, the three-letter the three boxing promoter is no longer here, supposedly. So who's going to make that happen? Tell me the truth. Who's going to make it happen? Because I don't see it happening. I don't see Joshua and Fury getting close to each other till 2025, if ever. In fact, I don't even think that will happen. I, I'll go on record as saying that. I think Joshua's scared of getting ironed out in the biggest fight of his career. I think the Ruiz thing really scared the life out of him. I think he's scared of getting ironed out. It happens to the best of us. There's a level you hit and you're like, maybe I don't belong at that level. Maybe I've, I've blagged my way to this point and now I'm like, let me just stick to what, to what I know and let me just keep getting money for fighting people like Jermaine Franklin. And that's a real shame because... When I look at the Franklin fight, yes, it's not very good, but I'll come back to my original point. What did we expect? This is just how it is. You know, Joe Joyce has got to fight Gilles Zhang. Josh has got to fight Franklin. People are just staying busy because of this whole undisputed nonsense. We'll come on to it when we talk about Alicia Baumgartner. As fans, we need to turn ourselves off this idea that undisputed means anything. It doesn't. It's manufactured, and in doing so, what it does is it slows everyone's career down. If the belts were scattered, Joe Joyce would be a world champion. Dubois would be a world champion. We'd have British world champions. And then we'd be banging the drum for those unifications. But as it is, two people have the belts. And it's like, oh, great. And then one person will have them. They'll vacate straight away. And then we're back to the same old chaos. Maybe chaos is what we deserve as boxing fans. And maybe it's what we need. But here's some good news. It's not on pay-per-view. I'll give you a few seconds to rejoice, celebrate, backflips, handstands, all of that. But here's the bad news. The zone are going to put the subscription rate up to 20 quid a month. So in, in a really clever way, excuse me, they've charged you pay-per-view. So if we imagine the first 20 quid payment comes out at the beginning of March, the second one at the beginning of April, even if you say in the UK there are 300,000 subscribers, right? That's 40 quid by 300,000 subscribers. That's about 12 million quid. That means that they can put some money away in escrow to cover at least Franklin's person, part of Joshua's guarantee. Without that, you're basically dipping into your own funds. And as we know, DAZN aren't making the money that they wish they could. Now, they're talking about they want a path to profitability, and I think that's fantastic. But remember, it's all been very clever accounting. So just for simple context... At point in time A, whatever valuation Sir Len decided his company was, he opened up a credit facility. I think it's like a 4 billion credit facility. And then they've advanced a big chunk of that to deserve maybe 2 billion. And so what happens over time, based on what they've spent that money on, the valuation may go from a 4 billion company to a 7 billion company, right? I'm just making numbers up for discussion. 
Now, now that it's a seven billion company, that debt that you have, you can just convert into equity. So that debt's now turned into a share of a seven billion company. And then when you lend the next load of money in and it goes to a 10 billion company, the debt's miraculously written off because it's just converted to equity. And this happens a lot, by the way. So essentially, one Solen company has lent the other Solen company money and in doing so has turned that debt into equity. So two entities that Solen owned have just basically moved money between themselves. Money that only Solen will see at the top end because the debt's essentially been turned into equity. And when you do that, that tells you that cash is essential. And so they can't be giving up 15, 20 million in escrow for Joshua to do what he does. That's why this is really interesting, is watching the price rise go up. Now, how many people cancel their subscription? That is the question. I think... How much do we pay for Sky a month? 60, 70, 80 quid, somewhere around that. Another 30 quid for BT, another 20 for Design. It's absolutely insane. Then you've got to include the stuff you've got for the kids like Disney. Uh, you might have Hulu, Paramount. You have all these things that you have on top of that. Amazon Prime, Netflix. So 150, 200 quid can come out of your account every month, theoretically. Just to watch all of this stuff. And you're not getting value for money. Yeah, let's be clear about that. You're not getting value for money. I don't want to watch NASCAR. I don't want to watch um, Pelota or Squash or any of that nonsense on the zone. I don't, you know. We thought we were going to get all the best fights and we haven't got any of the best fights. But that's, that's essentially what it is. The zone have accepted that their, their growth journey for now is on pause. So they need to maximize the revenue they get from each customer. And that's what they're doing to the people who have subscribed. And people say, where does this end? I genuinely have said it from the start. This ends in a sale to Comcast. And what Comcast will do is they'll merge their operations between DAZN and Sky. So there'll be Sky Digital and there'll be Sky Broadcast. That's where I see this ending. And Sky Digital will be all the stuff that DAZN are doing. They'll resurrect the betting brand and all of that. And then Sky Broadcast will be the stuff that goes, you know, through the set-top box. I think that's where you're going to end up. But I don't know how long that's going to take, and I don't know what the price will be, but that's how billionaires look after each other. Rupert Murdoch's probably told, so then get to point X and we'll buy it. And then whatever the transaction is, if it's an eight, nine billion transaction, it'll increase the valuation of Comcast by 15 or 20 billion because accountants know how to make money appear and disappear. So all that talk of Joshua begs the question, what about Dillian? People wanted the rematch with Jermaine Franklin. Um, if Eddie's still working closely with Demetrius Salita, then Otto Wallen may come into the picture. Because remember, they were meant to fight before. Uh, so that would have been, was that a year ago? No, no, just over a year ago. When they were meant to fight and then it mysteriously kind of fizzled out. But you imagine Wallen makes sense as a fight. He's a name that the British public know. He's a name that gave Fury all the trouble he could handle. And if Dillian can beat him, it sets up a great path towards AJ versus Dillian. But that's a big if, really. That is a massive if. Because if you look, look at Joshua and look at Dillian. They've essentially been training solidly for a decade. And yes, people say Dillian was banned for part of that decade, but he was still training. 
how much more can their bodies cope with? I think the modern training regimes give you far too much training mileage versus actual in-ring mileage. And that's my concern. My concern is Joshua's going to be 34 this year, right? Dillian might be 35 this year. The mileage is building up. The little things, you know, the scar tissue around the elbow joints, the scar tissue around the wrists, the knees and the hips will start to hurt. The lower back's going to start to hurt because of all the forces they generate. Everything's going to start to hurt bit by bit. And so you look at it and go, can they still do the camps? Can they put into what they used to put into it? Is all that effort, all that exertion, all that insecurity and fear and drive, is all of that going to catch up with them going forward? We're going to find out by the first half of this year, we're going to know for certain whether these guys are on the slide or not. I just get the impression that they are. I think they all are because, like I said, modern training is unbelievably savage on the body. So now it's just about let's gather as much money as we can. I think you started to see guys like Chisora come into the mix. They'll drag out a Hellenius. They'll bring everyone into the mix so people can make money while still conning the fans that we're going to get undisputed. So there's one of three directions I think Dillian can go in. Direction one is Ottawa, in which pretty in-house fight, easy to make. Option number two, someone like a Martin Bacoli, that's a wild card, um, may drag Dillian into a war that he probably doesn't want at this stage in his career. Um, third one would be another in-house option, which would be Dempsey McKean, right? And you sell Dempsey McKean as, this is the guy that Joshua didn't want to face. Yeah, this is the guy Joshua didn't want to face because he didn't want to face the Southpaw. Dillian's going to take the fight on because he doesn't fear anyone. And you can sell it that way. And I think that's, they're the options I see, you know, heading towards the summer. That's what Dillian was most likely going to do. Because, and let's strip it down. If you take away sort of the big hitters in the, in the division, Fury, Joyce, Usyk, Joshua, Wilder, I'm going to sneak Dillian in there a little bit. Beyond that, it's all much of a muchness. Um, the old guys are just as good as the young guys. The standard's not amazing beyond those guys. So there's not much to get excited about just yet. So what we really need is these guys to be fighting each other regularly. That's where the money's at. And then we start feeding in these guys like Hergovic and Jared Anderson, who should actually all be fighting each other. Because remember what happened to, what was the guy's name that Sam Jones was banging the drum about? Was it Guido Vianello? That Italian heavyweight who lost. I mean, so this is there's a lot of heavyweight hype. And these bubbles slowly get pricked. Um, Johnny Rice has done it a couple of times as well. So I, I, I just think, you know, we're expecting too much from the heavyweight division, guys. I think we all need to rebase our expectations. Maybe take up an interest in another sport until we, need a, until we have a reason to care. Until they can find us another AJ. So I can find us another Tyson Fury because right now I don't know where that's going to come from, from being honest with you. But can I just take a second to praise Eddie? Because often I give Eddie Hearn a hard time and mostly deserved. Um, what I do want to say, though, is kudos on finding Alicia Baumgartner and kudos on building her the right way, because I can't think of a more deserving person to be the face of women's boxing than Alicia Baumgartner. If you really break down what we like as boxing fans, we like people who can fight. We like people who can crack. And we like people who can talk. Yeah. And they've also got to have a bit of an edge to them. I think Baumgardner has that all. 
In the beginning of this journey, we thought Katie Taylor would be the standard bearer for women's boxing. That's what we all thought, because it's what we were told. But as it turns out, Katie Taylor's not that interested in being a figurehead. She just wants to fight. Fight, get paid, live her life. Nothing wrong with that, but we can't hail her as an icon. She is an Ireland, by the way, and is deserved. Um, her and Kelly Harrington, yeah, put, put, put them up on a statue. They deserve it. 100% deserve it in Ireland. I have no qualms about that. And I don't argue with Irish people when they tell me how great Katie Taylor is. To me, she's not because she's never, she's never actively grown the sport. I love Alicia Baumgardner because she goes to the other shows. She does the commentary. She's there and she's actually helping grow the sport. And you never get bored of seeing or hearing from her. That's, that's a big quality. And she's, she's accumulating some of these wins. Um, she turned Terry Harper into a statue. I mean, she, I mean, she absolutely slapped the life out of Michaela Mayer. And you know, Michaela Mayer is still traumatized by that. I've never understood why people got behind Michaela Mayer. I genuinely think if Michaela Mayer had a large nose, big ears and ginger hair, she wouldn't have the same energy around her that she does. And a lot, so you people have to be honest about why they, they follow Michaela Mayer because I've never seen it. I probably never will see it. But here's Alicia Baumgardner, the queen at 130 pounds, undisputed. But it's a meaningless undisputed because it's like, well, you beat Terry Harper uh, and you beat Michaela Mayer. That's pretty much it. The rest of your career is pretty hollow because the division's not great. So now Baumgardner's got to go up. Right? So go and get the belts at 135. They should have to go up and get the belts at 140. And if she does that, she's great, but she's not the greatest woman boxer ever. I think Clarissa Shields is so far ahead in terms of having the perfect boxing career. Like, no one walks this earth, no one walks this planet of boxing knowing that they have no questions to answer. Not Fury, not Joshua, not Wilder, not Canelo, not Golovkin, not Charlo 1, Charlo 2, Inoue. No one can walk this earth and say, no, no, I've got nothing left to prove apart from Clarissa Shields. Shields could walk into the Paris Olympics now, win a gold and go, <laughs> it just gets better and better. But she's too divisive to be the face of boxing. I'm a massive fan, but when you're prickly like she is, and your Marmite-ish, you're never going to be able to grow an organization because brands can't get behind you the way they can with someone like Baumgartner, who's pretty down the middle. You know, she's got enough of an edge that she can, you know, say some slick shit, pardon the language, but not too much of an edge that she turns you off. And I just wanted to stop and just praise her because I think Hearn's got Baumgartner spot on. He seems to be doing something similar with Sky Nicholson. I know people will insert whatever jokes they want there, but credit to him. He, he's, he's done a lot for women's boxing. And, you know, he's pushing the Katie Taylor thing, which I don't think will happen at Croke Park, just because I don't think 90,000 people want to see Katie Taylor fight Amanda Serrano. Because I think deep down people know Katie's headed for a defeat. Now, you don't, you don't want to be there when it happens. And, yeah, it feels like it was three years too late. But, you know, the, the world's kind of changed since... Since 2019, 2020. So I look at it and I say, what will they do? They'll find a 10,000 venue for Katie Taylor, turn it into a massive event, massive homecoming, and call it a massive success. The Aviva, from what I understand, is off limits. 
that leaves Croke Park. And I just don't think Croke Park is the sort of size venue you want for a Katie Taylor fight because there isn't a natural rival you can build a fight like that around. If you think about it, Katie Taylor and what's her name? The drug, the drug, the, or the alleged drug cheat, uh, Amanda Serrano. All right, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Manufactured rivalry. They're not rivals. Like they didn't know each other until people said we can make money off these two. That was all. Oh, we can make money off Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. It's not a real rivalry. There's no needle. And there's been no needle between them since the fight. They've, they've barely addressed each other. So you're going to expect a whole nation like Ireland to go, yeah, this is a real big deal. It's not. The fight people want to see Katie Taylor have is Chantal Cameron. Because we haven't seen that yet. And we're running out of time to see that. Maybe the rematch with Jonas. Why don't we have that? But yeah, I don't see it happening at Croke Park. I just don't think Ireland's going to get behind Katie like that. I think that's a hard sell to fill a 90,000 venue. You're just giving away a lot of free comps, especially for the costs it will be to hire the venue and to put the event on. So I'm just going to blast through stuff that's been happening in the boxing media. Just, just a quick once round the houses and all that. Um, the press conference for Plant and Benavides happened at, I feel for David Benavides because I look at his record and I look at his profile and I say, he has a better record at 168 than Callum Smith. He has a better record at 168 than most British super mids who aren't called Carl Froch and James DeGale. Yet here he is, seemingly in the shadows, well, definitely in Caleb Plant's shadow, who has also had a good record. This is a good fight between two guys who have done it the hard way. And... I'm going to enjoy the contrast in style because you've got that really busy David Benavidez style, which is much like his brothers. They've never changed. And if you, if you actually observe, I think there's a clip floating around of David Benavidez sparring Kelly Pavlik. And he must be about 16 at that time. And he's absolutely pelting Kelly Pavlik. Now, I'm not saying that he got the better of sparring because you have to understand Kelly Pavlik's a grown man who, if he wanted to light up Benavidez, he could. So he's letting Benavides work. But you could see then that this is a style he's had from, from the womb, essentially. And that high work rate style, that intense style, is Caleb Plant's movement going to be enough? Don't know. And then also, will Caleb be able to get his slick counters in amongst the noise of Benavides' punches? I think this is it's a high-level fight. It's... It's a higher level fight than Smith Ryder, that's for sure. And the winner, quite rightly, gets a shot at Canelo. I think David Benavides wins it. I'd like to see him fight Canelo. I think Canelo's avoided him for long enough. Him and Demetrius Andre have been guys Canelo's avoided. And that's why, you know, you can always question Canelo's career. And now, to be fair, I wouldn't want to fight Demetrius Andre. I don't think he's... He's not particularly good for a flat-footed sort of box puncher um, like Canelo is. Canelo's not a pressure fighter per se, and I think that's kind of the kryptonite for someone like Andrade, is just to to put that pressure on him, slow him down, and then in the later rounds, he's probably there to be taken out. But that's a horrible fight. I think Benavides might be a little too much because he's six foot two. And so, even though he doesn't fight like he's six foot two, 
that size advantage when he fills out. I think that would be quite tough for Canelo to deal with as well, as much as I admire his body punching. And where Benavidez differs from Fielding and Callum Smith, although they're both tall at super mid, is Benavidez will just set about you. You'll have no fear of Canelo. There's nothing he hasn't seen before. So I'm really looking forward to that fight. When I think it's happening in March, I think it's a good fight. And, you know, PBC off, off, off to a flyer. And then you've got supposedly Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia, which I'd also quite like to see. I think Ryan Garcia really has to cope with a lack of sharpness. You know, is he match fit? Don't think so. Tank definitely is match fit. And we know that a kind of pit bull style Javante Davis has, where he likes to get in and amongst it and then find those points of leverage that his opponent can't read and then just unleash shots. His ability to generate force for a man that small is incredible. So he will throw shots that, and I imagine if you're facing like Roly, Roly, was it Roly Ramirez? I imagine if you're facing shots like he was, you can't read those. They just seem to come out of nowhere because Tank is so good at hiding his, his loading points and his release points that you can't read it. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to that fight. I think that's probably, for me, one of the fights of the year, along with Inoue versus Stephen Fulton. Been a Fulton fan for a long time. Um, we know what a monster Inoue's been on the way up. I just don't see Fulton allowing that to happen. And also, when you're from Philly, you're not afraid to mix it up, are you? So let's... As much as we moan about boxing, look at the fights we're talking about now. These are all high-quality fights. These are fights that we would have asked for, right? And now we're getting them. I don't think we should be complaining. We just don't want the politics to get in the way. We don't want the paperwork to get in the way. We don't want the paperwork to to prevent us as fans getting the fights that we pay our subscriptions for. So fights we didn't ask for. Unfortunately, we're getting. Once again, it goes to Matchroom. Callum Smith versus, is it Stepien or Stepin? I have no idea. But when Callum Smith is talking about fighting Dmitry Baturbiev, Arta Baturbiev. Yeah. Okay. Not always perfect. So when Kamsman is talking about fighting Arta Baturbiev, why would you fight the second best light heavyweight in Poland? Why would you fight a guy? I don't hear this undefeated nonsense because this guy's for absolutely no one. These are the sort of fights that happen in an Irish bar somewhere south of Wroclaw or Katowice or I don't even know, Poznan, right? just in the backwoods of Poland. And I was just thinking, how are you the set? Who's the best light heavyweight in Poland? And who, what? we don't know who that is. And that's who they've got Callum Smith fighting. All those British names overlooked, Linden, um, Shekan, all these names overlooked, Spider, all overlooked for the second best Polish light heavyweight. Liverpool, do you understand why I have a problem with the Smith family now? I don't hate Liverpool. I have a real issue because just look at that. You're in a family where your older brother, Paul, jumped in with an Olympic gold medalist, a guy who went on to headline one of the biggest boxing shows at Wembley Stadium, and God knows who else, even a local scouts rival in Tony Dodson. And then he went on to fight one of the greatest boxers to ever lace on a pair of gloves and Andre Ward. Paul Smith wouldn't have fought the second best light heavyweight in Poland. 
For all of his faults, Liam Smith wouldn't have fought the second best like anything from Poland. And here you have Callum Smith cherry picking and kind of just ice skating his way to these title shots that he, he doesn't deserve. And yet he doesn't get the same hassle. Let's say this again. He's never got the same hassle that Anthony Yard got. Never. No one has ever really ripped Callum Smith's record apart the way they have Anthony Yard. Why? It's because the media have created this story about the Smiths that have people believe that they're all this, they're this collective of amazing, you know, skillful fighters like the Beatles. I think Callum Smith would have struggled against Zach Chelly. I think he would now. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. You know, good luck to Zach against Anthony Sims Jr., who's also not a bad fighter and conducted himself really well so far, you know, in the build-up to the fight. But back to Callum Smith. Stop giving this guy a pass. His record, his career is terrible. It's terrible. And now we're talking about he's in position to fight Baturbi. And you're like, off beating who? I'm sure, actually, no, no, um, Benavidez is interim champion at Super Mid. I just don't get it. I don't get how Callum Smith's been able to go up, fight nobody, and then say, right, I'm fighting for the WBC against Baturbiev. Uh, and I hope Baturbiev just just finishes this, just completely finishes it. And there's, there's no more Callum Smith after this because I'm pretty bored of it. And I don't say that to to take shots at Liverpool. I'm just saying... If you're from the city of Liverpool, be a bit more critical of some of these careers because you're, you're quick to jump on Tunde Jai's back. Let's not forget that. And it's also good to see people finally starting to show Tunde Jai the respect because I remember when guys like Danny Connor were slating him. Danny Connor was slating Tunde Jai. And now he's got his tongue out, ready to lick the arsehole clean, as Danny Connor always does. There'll never be a pound note that Danny Connor's not sniffing around. Any route back into boxing, but it's moved past him now. He he wasn't faithful enough to the sport, so the sport forgot about him and it upsets him. But listen, happy for Tunde. Um, put some respect on his name. You know, put some question marks to Callum Smith's career. And I think you're all good. I haven't even touched on Martin Bacoli. Good luck to the kid. <laughs> Um, waited in the shadows for a long time. I wonder if Sky have the money to give him the fights that he deserves or they're just going to do a match room and essentially just put him in a mandatory position and say, right, wait your turn. I think that's what they're going to try and do. Don't be surprised if you start hearing talk about Bacoli fighting Wilder. Um, Gabe Rosado versus um, Ramirez or Zurda. No, 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 no. Um, I don't know how many defeats Gabe Rosado's got. 15, 16? Oh. And I like Gabe. I just don't think at light heavyweight, he's a factor. I think you could bring him down to 168, 160, and maybe he gives some prospects a hard time. But, geez, at 175 against a big guy like Ramirez? Why? Why? Instead, I prefer to look down the weights and look at one of the old heads. Golovkin's given up the IBF belt. So I'd love to see who they have fight for that. Like This comes back to the point, and this is why Frank should have put some money into Denzel. Because if he had put money into Denzel, 
then Thor will be ranked in the IBF in a position to fight for that belt. Now we've got to wait till April 15th and hopefully Queensbury will pull their finger out and try and get him ranked because I think Denzel deserves to be ranked and let's see if they can put him in striking distance for a world title shot because I think this time next year Denzel Bentley is going to be unbelievable like when we haven't seen his best work yet and the reason we haven't seen his best work is there are a couple of tweaks I know he's going to have to make from a mentality perspective and a decision making perspective that will turbocharge all those skills and fundamentals that he's got and it's the same with Dan Aziz you're seeing it with Dan where everything's starting to knit together and Dan's making incredible decisions at the right time and Denzel's going to follow that and then you know once you unleash him on a world title shot as long as he's given time to prepare I think he could win one and I'd be so proud if he did because He's what British boxing needs. Him and Dan Aziz are what British boxing needs. Guys who aren't afraid to fight anybody. Just contrast their rise to the top with these other two names. Callum Smith, Felix Cash. Who are both guys you'd expect to beat these two. But they've gone on to have better careers. Why? Because they give the fans what they want. And that's why they'll always have the heart of the fans. So as I've said, man, kudos to them. Um... In terms of what else has been happening, that's just a Sky show on Saturday. That's a trade show, really. Uh, quick question. Adam Azim is, what, seven fights in? This is going to be his eighth fight. I reckon by July, August, he'll be on 10, 11 fights. At that point, I'm confident Dalton Smith will be on 14 or 15 fights. When are we going to get that fight? Why are we pretending that we need to build these two up so they can unify? This is why I say to the fans, stop caring about unifying, stop caring about undisputed, focus on these guys fighting when the time is right. I think this year is the year those two have to fight. It's as simple as that, because we need to know who we're going to get behind. They both can't be chasing world titles, and that, that disrespects the sport in this country. So I really want to see that. And hopefully you guys want to see that, and that's what we're going to press for, is the idea that, actually, guys, let's get... Let's get all of this sorted out. All these domestic level rivalries, let's get them sorted out in the next year or so. So as fans, we know who to get behind, especially now that you're paying 20 quid for DAZN. You don't want to see, if you're paying 20 quid a month on DAZN, I don't want to see Dalton Smith fighting Billy Allington. Do you know what I mean? Isn't that the tap dancing kid from the movie? I don't know. But we don't want to see that. We want to see Adam Izim versus Dalton Smith, top level fighters, you know, if it's close, let them run it again. That's what we want to see. I'm just conscious I've probably talked your ears off, guys. It's been a slow week in the world of boxing. I wish I wish we could deliver more, but hey, you know, this is not the gift that keeps on giving sometimes. Ah, it's probably a good time to say take care. And look, as always, if you enjoy the content, share it, introduce it to one other person. Let's keep growing because you know, this is one of the few sources of, I was going to say truth, but I think it's more honesty. Because people say truth, your truth isn't my truth. But hopefully my honesty is your honesty. And as always, man, thanks. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Take care. Mm-hmm.